Today on the Matt Wall Show, an elected official in Tennessee labels me, Ben Shapiro, and Candace Owens as members of the Vortex of Evil, which incidentally is also the name of the death metal band we're forming. Meanwhile, the outrage mob descends again, calling on Ben to fire me because I dared to say that I don't want my children to be indoctrinated into the trans cult. Totally offensive stuff, apparently. Also, Marjorie Taylor Greene continues to advocate for her national divorce plan. James O'Keefe is officially pushed out of the organization that he founded. And some conservatives on social media have found their new hero, a cross-dressing makeup salesman who advocates for transgenderism. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. People are raving about GenuCell skincare. Jessica from Huntsville, Alabama says, my skin looks so soft and clear. I've seen a reduced number of fine lines and dark spots. I found a new lifetime product. Absolutely love it. Well, GenuCell was born from its founder in a small New Jersey town as a favor to one of his pharmacy customers. Using rare botanical extracts and scientifically researched ingredients, GenuCell is uniquely formulated to target all visible signs of aging, fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, a sagging jawline, and even those puffy under eye bags. The GenuCell product you use today uses the same one-of-a-kind proprietary flower base developed by its founders all those years ago. All GenuCell products work for both men and women, plus they're safe for all skin types. You're guaranteed to see immediate results in 12 hours or your money back. You know, I've told you my talent manager, Tessa, uses GenuCell under-eye treatment to help get rid of the bags under her eyes. We talk about all the time the skincare regimen, and uh, it really works. Try GenuCell's most popular package for 70% off at GenuCell.com Walsh. Join millions of happy customers who have already fallen in love with the results. Plus, for a limited time, get GenuCell's probiotic extract-infused moisturizer free with every most popular package. Subscribe and get a complimentary bonus box as well. Go to GenuCell.com Walsh, GenuCell.com Walsh. One of these days, perhaps, I'll make it through a 24-hour period without provoking the outrage mob. Um, just as a matter of mathematical odds, it seems certain that eventually I'll have a day of peace and quiet. But that day is not this day, apparently. Uh, this day, the mob is very upset yet again and has me trending on social media yet again, trending right alongside the also-canceled Aunt Jemima, by the way. Um, she's uh, also, I don't know why she's trending, but she is. Because of a segment from yesterday's show, and, and during the daily cancellation yesterday, if you listen to the show, you know I delivered my final rebuttal to the conservatives who have been relentlessly attacking me for being, as they claim, too mean to trans activists like Dylan Mulvaney. Well, my PR reps over at Media Matters were, of course, as always, watching and listening intently, taking careful notes, as they always do. And towards the end of the monologue, they found the bit they needed for their headline. Emphasis on bit, because they only need a phrase, right? Not, not even a full sentence, because they can write the rest of it themselves. They just need me to say like a couple of words, and then they'll do the rest. That's exactly what they did with this headline. Daily Wire host, I would rather be dead than have a trans child. That's the headline. And from there, other Media Matters goons like Ari Drennan ran with it. Ari tweeted, in another unhinged rant about Dylan Mulvaney, Matt Walsh says that he would rather die than allow his kids to be trans. Matt says he's entitled to whatever language he wants, as am I. His six kids are not safe with him, and he should not be allowed within a mile of them. It circulated from there to the corporate media, where NBC reporter and obsessed fan Benjamin Ryan posted, quote, Matt Walsh employs violent incendiary rhetoric to stir up moral panic against transgender people as he proclaims he'd rather die than have a trans child. And soon there were people uh, tagging Ben Shapiro and calling for me to be fired. Uh, because, you know, of course, that's the kind of thing that would happen here at the Daily Wire. I would be fired for being uh, too aggressive in my, in, my, uh, in my opposition to, you know, transgenderism. One of those posts calling for me to be fired earned a like from conservative, quote unquote, Jonah Goldberg, who is so conservative that he thinks conservative media figures should lose their jobs for not wanting their children to be trans. That's... That's conservative media now. Of course, the outrage mob uh, made its way outside of the walls of Twitter, out into Reddit and other forums and the left-wing media world, leading to headlines like this from the leftist internet rag Alternet, a fate worse than death. Matt Walsh launches vicious attack on parenting trans kids. Now, at this point, it might be relevant to go back and listen to the comment that these people are so upset about. Uh, I know that as far as the outrage mob is concerned, there's, there's no need to consider what a person actually said when deciding whether to be angry about what they said. All that matters is how they feel about what they think I said. Be that as it may, for those who care about irrelevant details like, you know, the truth, well, here's the clip. 
I have personally heard from many parents, more than I can count, who tell me versions of the same horror story. A beautiful and innocent kid one day, seemingly out of nowhere, gets sucked into the gender cult and is devoured by it. The child they held as a baby and raised and gave their lives to and loved and still love becomes suddenly unrecognizable. All of their innocence and light and beauty just drained out of them, replaced by this self-cannibalizing madness. For a parent to see this happen to a child, it is a fate worse than death. I would rather be dead than have that happen to my kids. See, the thing that I most despise about Dylan Mulvaney is that he is part of a movement which actively seeks to turn my children into Dylan Mulvaney. That's why I'm entitled to my anger and to whatever language I use to convey it. I will say whatever I want to say, and I will be justified in saying it because these people are after my kids and yours and everyone else's. And you're worried that I'm being a little rude? Well, you see, when it comes to my children, the children that I cherish more than my own life, if you think mean words go too far, then you would be very shocked to hear how far I would really go to protect them. Trust me, words are the least of it. Okay, so there it is. That's, that's the clip that Media Matters posted. Um, I know you don't need me to say this because at this point it certainly goes without saying, but I obviously stand by all that. I'm happy that I said what I said. I'm happy with the way that I said it, and um, I don't care if it hurt your feelings. Uh, you know, this is not one of those, well, I'm sorry if it hurt your feelings. I'm not sorry if it hurt your feelings. In fact, I'm glad that it did. Because from what I've seen, the people who've had their feelings hurt by this deserve to have their feelings hurt. So I'm glad that it makes you uncomfortable. I really am. My point was very clear. Um, I love my kids. I would give my life to protect them. I'd jump in front of a moving train if they were stuck on the tracks. I would dive in front of a bullet. This is what it means to be a loving parent. And any loving parent feels the same way about their own kids. And that means that I would also, if necessary, uh, give my life to stop my children from being indoctrinated into a death cult that will deprive them of their sense of identity, lead them towards self-mutilation and self-harm, and a large percentage of cases lead to suicide. Obviously, I'd rather die than have my kids suffer such a fate. I, I, I have said some provocative things in my time. I've offered up, I'll admit, some hot takes that even I will confess were a bit on the eccentric side, even though I was still right about all those. But this is not one of those takes. This is very normal. I want my kids to be happy and whole and fulfilled. I want them to live fruitful and productive lives. I don't want them to fall prey to a poisonous social contagion that will deprive them of all of that. It's not just that I don't want it. It's that I will fight to my dying breath to prevent it. This is not extremism. It's love. And loving your child is normal, or it should be. This is how the game is played, though. Take a normal thing, try to make it unspeakable and unthinkable. Shriek in horror at what is normal and healthy and virtuous, and hope that uh, the shrieks alone are enough to convince people to run the other way. It's an effective strategy to a certain extent, as anyone who understands group psychology can tell you. You know, you could try an experiment walking down a busy sidewalk, suddenly look behind you, and then run away with a terrified expression on your face. If you do that, it's guaranteed that other people will run with you, even though they have no idea what you're running from. Your reaction to the imaginary threat was enough to convince them. And the left deploys this method at an ideological level and on a culture-wide scale. And here they do it again. A man simply says that he doesn't want his children to fall victim to a self-mutilating cult. The left hears this totally normal sentiment and reacts as though that man had advocated for genocide. And they hope that others will follow them in their panic. No need to articulate any sort of coherent argument against the statement any more than You'd have to make an argument to the crowd on the sidewalk in order to convince them to run away from the invisible monster. You know, they, they don't have to explain why normalcy is evil. They just have to treat it that way and hope that other people will follow suit. Speaking of which, we're on the verge of getting our law passed here in Tennessee, banning the mutilation and castration of children. That's, uh, I'd expect that to happen this week. The state legislature responded in a big way to uh, my report exposing Vanderbilt, and now we will ensure that the things that I uncovered there will not happen ever again in this state anywhere. 
But not every Tennessee legislator is on board with protecting children. We do have a few Democrats here in this state, sadly. And as we saw at the hearing a few weeks ago, they are very depressed uh, about the fact that kids can't be mutilated anymore. They're very upset about it. Very down. One of those legislators is State Representative Gloria Johnson, who is a particularly loathsome witch who feels personally attacked by our efforts to protect children. She takes it very personally. Um, and that's that's how it is. You know, groomers take their grooming seriously, and they don't take kindly to those who stand in the way. In fact, Johnson has noticed that Tennessee is becoming more conservative as more and more sane and decent people move here. You know, we moved in. And next thing you know, child castration and child drag shows are about to be illegal. Because apparently this state just ain't big enough for all of us, which means the groomers and predators have to go. That's what led Johnson to tweet a few days ago this. Quote, if I'm hearing this right, the following people now live in Tennessee. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Betsy DeVos, Rebecca Mercer, Roger Stone, Tommy Lahren, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens. Who am I leaving out? It seems we are a testing ground for the vortex of evil. Now, obviously, it's not a healthy thing for elected officials to label their own constituents the vortex of evil. Yet this is the kind of rhetoric that even leftists in government will use. They'll use it about their own constituents. And and they'll use it while the right continues to debate whether our own language is too harsh. So we're arguing amongst ourselves about, I don't know, maybe we should be a little bit nicer. Uh, Meanwhile, they're out there saying, you're the vortex of evil. You better not tell a man that he makes an ugly woman. That'd be very offensive to the sorts of people who already consider you to be a member of the vortex of evil. That said, I I have to say I'm honored by the label. You know, I've been wondering what our supervillain squad name should be, and uh, now we have it. I thought about axis of evil, but that's already taken. Uh, Cyclone of evil might overdo it a little bit. Vortex of evil. That's the one. Mostly, though, I'm honored because I know what they consider to be evil. It's always opposite day with these people. So the word evil simply means good or sane or normal. That's what they hate most of all. We are not heroes because we oppose child abuse and want to protect our own children from it. You don't have to be heroic for that. We're just normal. You might say a vortex of normal is maybe what we should be called. But I guess that doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, with the economy these days, it's uh, it's just a matter of survival for a lot of people uh, living paycheck to paycheck, looking for help from uh, Washington, D.C. It's never going to happen. And if you own a business, the past few years especially have been a bumpy ride from COVID lockdowns to Biden inflation. You could probably use a break and innovation refunds can help with that. If your business has five or more employees and managed to survive COVID, well, you could be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to $26,000 per employee through the employee retention credit. It's not a loan. There's no payback. It is a refund of your taxes. Go to GetRefunds.com to find out about it. Their team of tax attorneys are highly trained in this little-known payroll tax refund program. They've already returned $1 billion to businesses, and they can help you too. They do all the work, no charge up front, and they simply share a percentage of the cash that they get for you. Businesses of all types can qualify, including those who took PPP, uh, nonprofits, even those that had increases in sales still are qualifying for this. See if your business qualifies for ERC assistance in about eight minutes but you got to go to GetRefunds.com. Click on Qualify Me and answer a few questions. This payroll tax refund is only available for a limited amount of time. Don't miss out. Go to GetRefunds.com. GetRefunds.com. Yeah, Vortex of Normal. I kind of like that the more I think about it. It sounds like the most boring version of the Avengers ever conceived. Um, And one other note about Gloria Johnson. She's a, uh, a former teacher, but also, unfortunately, she's illiterate. Um, And those are two things that go hand in hand a lot more often than you'd like to think. So she tweeted this as well. Can we put the tweet up? This is another tweet that she put up on uh, a couple days ago. Do we have that? Okay, here it is. This is what she tweeted. Now try to follow along. If you're going to claim that your bill to outlaw something, a loud minority don't agree with it, then you probably shouldn't say it isn't relevant that the majority of Tennesseans don't agree with other things they pay for as taxpayers. You killed your own argument. I mean, you killed some brain cells, at least, with that. Let me, let me let's just go through this again. Because I honestly, I'm not even trying to be funny. I can't understand what she's trying to say. Uh, this is an elected representative, former teacher. 
If you're going to claim that your bill to outlaw something, a loud minority don't agree with it. Well, already, I, that's not, that doesn't work. I, so we can't even move past. If you're going to claim that your bill to outlaw something, a loud minority don't agree with it. Then you probably shouldn't say it isn't relevant that the majority of Tennesseans don't agree with other things they pay for as taxpayers. You killed your own argument. So you've got a, a couple of weird sentence fragments stitched together with a with an incoherent series of double negatives. And, uh, and, that's what, and that's what she decided to put out there into the world. This makes Kamala Harris seem articulate by comparison. This is, the, this is like the written equivalent of a stroke. I, I felt like I was having a stroke while reading it. It, tr- it. it reads as though she wrote a normal sentence and then ran it through some kind of translation software. I don't know if she normally speaks Mandarin Chinese. She doesn't seem like the type, but maybe that would explain it. She actually speaks Mandarin, and then, and then so, she, but she, so she has to filter everything through Google Translate. To tweet, and then and then that's how you end up with this. I don't know. There are a lot of theories people have, but um, uh, I guess the world will never know exactly. Okay, I want to begin here. Marjorie Taylor Greene set off, uh, as we discussed yesterday, an eruption of outrage a couple days ago by suggesting a national divorce, and she hasn't backed down from it. Um, and here she is on Fox News last night, defending the idea. Let's listen to what she says. In my life, in my world, I all of my friends are regular Americans. Everyone I talk to is sick and tired and fed up of being bullied by the left, abused by the left, and disrespected by the left. And our ideas, our policies, our ways of life have become so far apart that it's just coming to that point. And the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war. Um, no one wants that, at least everyone I know would never want that. But it's going that direction, and we have to do something about it. We're also a nation, a crumbling nation. We're a nation in distress. Our government is in complete failure, over $34 trillion. We are on the verge of default, and we have to do something about that. But that was the right and the left that did that to the American people on their own. But the Democrats never stop pushing their policies, their ideas, and their culture on Republicans and the right. And we are so sick and tired of it. We are tired of our children being taught ideas and ideologies in school that we do not want our children taught, like gender lies. We do not want our children um, being having their gender change or transitioned. We, we can't even have women's sports and privacy in our bathrooms, and women in prison can't even have spaces. ESG, environmental social governance, has completely taken over corporations, and this is a huge policy pressed on private businesses through the government from Democrats. If you're a white male today in the financial industry, you can forget it. You're a dinosaur. You're going extinct. No one should ever be hired by their skin color or their gender or or how they identify. It should only be about your character and your ability to do the job. Okay. So she's not wrong about uh, a lot of that. And... Like I said, yesterday, she, you know, she's, she's not wrong to bring up the idea of national divorce, necessarily. People have been talking about this idea for years anyway, and we might as well bring it onto the national stage. In theory, I get it. I understand in theory. But I want to put up this, uh, this visual to buttress the point that I was trying to make yesterday about this. Because the problem, there's a few problems with national divorce, but, but the first and most insurmountable one is a problem of geography. And for a national divorce, a geographic problem is a fatal problem because it's all about geography. And you can't really get around it. So let's put this up. Someone tweeted this to me yesterday um, just to to kind of, again, emphasize my point. They say tough to divide this up. And then it's a red and blue map. And you see the distribution of red and blue voters. So let's keep this up because how how do you divide this up? And I, I can see a couple of easy cases here. Uh, Vermont is entirely blue, basically. Massachusetts, Connecticut, New England in general. Though even in New England, you know, uh, New Hampshire and Maine have a lot of red. California is, of course, heavily blue. Um, New Mexico. But who gets Pennsylvania? Okay, who gets who gets Virginia? Who gets North and South Carolina? And you go out west, it's pretty clear that conservatives get Wyoming and like the 10 people who live there. But then, you know, jump down south, who gets Colorado? 
What about Texas? There just is no way to divvy this up without, without first facilitating a mass migration in two different directions by hundreds of millions of people who are all choosing to leave their homes or are leaving their homes by force. And, uh, and, and, and probably much of their families too, by the way. Because no matter how you divide this up, how many people are going to end up in a situation where now your family, half of your family is in a foreign country? So that's what you have to do. You have hundreds of millions of people just, and I don't know where, I don't know where the dividing line is here. It's not, this is definitely not a clear, it's not a North versus South thing anymore. Uh, it's not that. It's, it's not East, West. It, it, what is it? And however you divide it, you're going to have, is that we're going to have hundreds of millions of people all at once going in two opposite directions? It'll never happen. Um, it just, it, it, it will not happen. It, it won't. So we could talk about in theory and, and uh, would it be better if it did? Those are fine. I'm, I'm fine with having conversations in theory and the abstract, but when it comes down to it, I'm a practical person and I, and I prefer to, we could talk about abstractions all day, but let's bring it back to the practical real world. And in the practical real world, that just isn't happening. Okay. Um, and by the way, I thought about this also. You, you take the take the northeast for example. So it's likely that however you separate this, it would mean that the left gets the northeast, where I was born and raised. Um, but I'm not going to agree to that. Okay, that's that's my home. That's where I was born. That's where my family lives, and, and that's also where so much of our nation's history is. That's why I've always loved the northeast, and uh, that's one of my ties to it still. And it's got a lot of problems culturally. And it is politically mostly dominated by the left. That's true. Although in a, in a place like Pennsylvania, it's like, you know, you take Philadelphia out of it and, and you take Pittsburgh out of it. And this is a, that's a conservative state for the most part. But, but even, even aside from all that, it's just, it's got so much history. So much of our nation's history is there. And are you really willing to give up most of the, the most significant historical landmarks and monuments and locations? Are you, really, are you willing to give that? To the left and say you can have it. Give it over to people who are going to desecrate and destroy it. Are you willing to give that to them? To people who hate it? I'm not willing to do that. I'm not just going to give it to them. Hey, you can have all this. All, you know, so much of our nation's history, you can have it and do with what you will with it. Hell no. So where does that leave us? It means that what it means is that we have to fight this out, okay? That's what it means. And we have to win in the culture war, okay? It, it's not going to happen overnight. As I'm always saying, it's not, it's, it is not an overnight solution. And most of the, uh, the, the kind of doomer perspective, the, uh, the, the, the people who are fatalists about it and say that well, we can never win, it's impossible, they're talking about tomorrow, Okay, and, and, and they, are, they are falling into despair because they've noticed that we can't win this fight by, you know, say tomorrow uh, around lunchtime. And they're right about that. But this is a generational struggle and you just have to accept that. And for a long time, most people throughout the world, this is how they live. They lived understanding that they existed in one moment in time and but they were just part of this 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 you know uh, this chain where of ancestors and then descendants and so they lived and they wanted to build a legacy and build a future for people uh, who would come after them their children and grandchildren they they were worried about what the world and what their country and what their their culture would look like when they were dead and gone and and weren't a part of it anymore. But all we're worried about in the kind of microwave age, all we're worried about is the immediate. Well, we have to get past that. It's a generational struggle. And so there's no way to divide this up. Instead, we're going to have to have a lot of kids and raise them well and win this culture back and our country back and our history back over time. Because I'm not willing to give it up. I'm not surrendering my home to these people. I'm not giving our history over to them. I'm not giving the places where I was born and raised. I'm not giving the places where my family lives. Hell no. You know something else too? I'm also not giving up on 
the children who live in the areas that would be, you know, part of a leftist stand or whatever they're going to call it. I'm not going to give up on them. It's not their fault. So in this fight to, for example, protect kids from child mutilation or protect kids from being murdered in the womb, you know, it's one thing to say to adults, adult leftists, that, hey, if this is the, if this is the country you want, this is what you want, uh, reap what you sow and deal with it. And, I, and I'm willing to say that to them, but I'm not willing to say it to their kids. Their kids didn't choose. It's not fair to them. I'm not going to consign all them to this either. So we're left with the fight, what we're left with. Get used to it. Learn, learn to love it. Um, Pete Buttigieg was tracked down by a reporter yesterday and asked uh, what he's doing about the train derailment situation. And here's how that went. Secretary, what do you have to say? Hi, how are you? Jenny Chair at the Daily Caller News Foundation. What do you have to say to the folks in Ohio, East Palestine, who are suffering right now? Well, I've referred to about a dozen interviews I've given today. And uh, if you'd like to arrange a conversation, uh, make sure to reach out to our press office. But I'm not going to have that conversation with you. Just walk you don't have a message here. for them? I do, and I shared it with the press many times today. I'd refer you to those comments. Would you mind sharing it with us? No, I'm going to refer you to the comments that I made to the press because uh, right now I'm taking some personal time and I'm walking down the street. Are you going down there? <clears throat> What's up? Are you going down there at all? Um, yeah, I am. When are you going? Uh, I'll share that uh, when I'm ready. Okay, thank you. Can I get a photo of you? Yeah. Can I get a photo of you? You creep. What was that? What was that? Why do you want a photo of her? Do I want to know? Um, he's taking some personal time. You know, Pete Buttigieg, one thing we know about this guy is that he loves his personal time. That's why he took six months for maternity leave, and now he's taking some, he's taking some personal time. Did he actually say... Take us a personal time to walk, walk down the walk down the sidewalk. Yeah, I'm taking some personal time on this sidewalk here. You know what I want to hear from Republican presidential candidates is um, what I really want to hear. I want to hear a lot from them, but one thing I want to hear is a serious proposal, a serious proposal to gut these agencies like the Transportation Department and abolish most of them, like the Transportation Department. Because that's uh, one of the things that we've learned from all of this, which many of us already knew, which is that the, you know, an agency like the Transportation Department is totally useless. And he's basically admitted it. In, in all the interviews that he's uh, given, and the reason he wanted to talk to the Daily Caller is because he knew that uh, he might actually be pressed and he would face some actual scrutiny. So he's only going to give interviews what he's actually saying there is, oh, no, I don't want to talk to you. You're going to ask me actual questions. Sorry, I, I only talk to media. I only talk to reporters who don't ask me real questions. Oh, do, are, are you going to just say things that set me up to go on a stump speech? Oh, you're not? Well, then, I, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in, it's personal time right now. But if you listen to the um, stump speeches that he's been giving, they all really boil down to this isn't my fault. This isn't the purview of the Transportation Department. This is other agencies. And it's just a bunch of, a bunch of CYA making excuses. And so I think that we should uh, listen to that, take him at his word and say, well, okay, I guess the transportation department is totally useless, which we always knew that it was. Because if there could be trains derailing, this is the transportation department. And if there could be trains derailing all over the country and dumping toxic chemicals into the water supply, and and on top of that, we also have flights being grounded because the computer systems don't work and all the rest of it. And there's uh, chaos at the ports and the supply chain. All that's happening, and it's not the fault of the transportation department. What that tells us is that the transportation department does nothing. We have to imagine, what if the transportation department didn't exist for the last two years? Would any of this look any different? Would, would it be worse somehow? I mean, could it get worse? If it looks different at all, it would, it would look different in the other direction. Maybe some of this would be better because you cut out some of the bureaucracy that it interferes with everything. Okay, bureaucracy gets in the way of everything, including keeping the trains on the tracks. So we just need to get rid of it. And that's what I want to hear from uh, Republican presidential candidates. What what I don't want to hear is like what we heard from Larry Hogan yesterday, uh, a platitude about I'm a small government conservative. I've heard enough of that. I I don't don't call yourself small government. I, I don't need to hear it. What I want to hear is what are you actually going to do? And you need to go in and start gutting these departments and firing people and shutting down agencies. 
No Republican president has done that yet, at least not in recent history. Instead, what they've done is expanded it. So we need promises on the record of this department, this department, this department are gone when I become president. And we can start with transportation department. Um, we can move all over to the education department. We, uh, you know, and we can continue for that. I think we should start with those two and continue from there. Health and human services. Uh, so start with those three. It's a long list, so we got to start somewhere. Daily Wire has this. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, CEO of Anti-Woke Incorporated, is running as a Republican for president of the United States in 2024, speaking of Republican presidential candidates. The millionaire investor and author announced the official start of his campaign during an appearance on Fox News' Tucker Carlson tonight. Ramaswamy's announcement follows weeks of rumors and reporting that he was considering a 2024 bid. One thing I'll say about Ramaswamy is that I appreciate that his name looks... Um, daunting at first, but then you realize it's actually easy to pronounce. And for me, as you know, it's a very important detail here. Um, so he announces, uh, he announced that he's, he's running for president. He's, he's 37 years old, by the way. So it's one of the younger presidential candidates we've had. And he put out this ad yesterday. We'll watch a little bit of the ad. We're in the middle of a national identity crisis. Faith, patriotism, and hard work have disappeared, only to be replaced by new secular religions like COVIDism, climatism, and gender ideology. We hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves, yet we cannot even answer the question of what it means to be an American. Today, the woke left preys on that vacuum. They tell you that your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation govern who you are, what you can achieve, and what you're allowed to think. This is psychological slavery, and that has created a new culture of fear in our country that has completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. And that is why today I am announcing my run for President of the United States. This isn't just a political campaign. This is a cultural movement to create a new American dream for the next generation. To me, the American dream means you believe in merit, that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character All and right. your contributions. It means you okay, so that's a little bit of uh, that's a little bit of that. Ad, and he also, as like I said in the article, he went to appear on on uh, Tucker Carlson. I actually found him. I, I wasn't really familiar with it, with him before he announced his run for president. Um, I found him to be a, an effective communicator, and I agree with uh, a lot of what he says. Um, he has made getting rid of affirmative action policies one of the central parts of his campaign, which uh, which I agree is very important. Um, but he's also not going to win, right? And he's just not. So, as we've already discussed, I'm, I, I believe in being practical. We could talk in the abstract, but, I, but it must come back down to the practical real world. And in the practical real world, he's not going to win. Um, and I think he knows that. But I really have to wonder if failed presidential campaigns are the best use of effective communicators. Now, I'm not naive. I know why they do it. They do it to you know, increase their own personal brand and visibility. They do it uh, as a way of auditioning for a cabinet spot. You know, So things like that, maybe what they want to get on the ticket. There are reasons why people jump into a presidential race, even though they know they're not going to win. But um, those might be the reasons, but I don't see them as especially good reasons. And I really wish that uh, people who are effective communicators on the conservative side and have good ideas, as he does, um, I just don't, I don't think it's the best use of that talent to jump into a failed presidential campaign, especially these days in the internet age and cable news and everything. And you go into the presidential race and you just, you're going you're to get ripped to shreds. It's guaranteed. Uh, part of that is politics. But I just wonder if, if you risk damaging yourself more than you help yourself in the long run by doing this. All right. Something else I wanted to note here. We didn't get a chance to talk about this yesterday, but uh, we've been following this story a little bit. This is Daily Wire reports. James O'Keefe announced a break with Project Veritas, the investigative group he founded, while hinting at a new journalism venture in the future. In a video posted to uh, Vimeo on Monday, O'Keefe said he was stripped of all decision-making last week, and he described some clashes with leadership. O'Keefe, who was standing in a Project Veritas office, said he, has, uh, he was relieved of his authority as CEO for at least 180 days and removed from the Project Veritas Board of Directors, citing board meeting notes. 
Currently, I have no job at Project Veritas. He added, I have no position here based upon what the board has done. So I'm announcing to you all today on President's Day that I'm packing up my personal belongings here. Um, and he's leaving. Now, the Project Veritas board put out a statement where they lay out the alleged malfeasance that led them to suspend James O'Keefe and force him out of the, the organization. Um, keep in mind that a couple of weeks ago on social media, the Project Veritas, they, they said, they claimed that James O'Keefe was on vacation. So they've already lied. They lied about it a couple of weeks ago when the reports first surfaced that he was being pushed out. And they said, oh, he's just on vacation. Everything's fine. So they lied. So we know that. But here's what they said in their statement. Here are a few examples of what has been done, what has been uncovered so far by the Project Veritas leadership. This is far from an exhaustive list. It is merely a small representative sample. This is their statement. $14,000 on a charter flight to meet someone to fix his boat under the guise of meeting with a donor. $60,000 in losses by putting together dance events such as Project Veritas Experience. Over $150,000 in black cars in the last 18 months. Thousands of dollars spent on DJ and other equipment for personal use. Hundreds of other acts of personal inurement. Um, the board wants to work things out with James and has tried every route possible to remedy the issues at hand and begin to take the legally required corrective actions. James has left us no choice but to suspend him, so on and so forth. Now, th this, is, this is bizarre. We, when we first heard about this, I, I said at the time that, like so many other people, to me, James O'Keefe is Project Veritas. You cannot separate the two. Um, and from the very beginning, this smelled to me like a coup to push, push him out by people who have a grudge against him, people who have egos or whatever else, and they want to get rid of him and clear him out and take over. And now that we have their statement where they lay out their case, and this might not be everything. We don't know everything. But uh, we don't know everything that went on behind, behind the scenes. But it's been 100% confirmed, that number one, that Project Veritas lied to the public a couple weeks ago. And now they're presenting their case. It may not be the full case, but this is what they're choosing to lead with. So we can assume that uh, if they had, if they had uh, you know, uh, more, if they had more shocking skeletons in the closet they were going to drag out, they'd start with that. So this is the most shocking thing they can do, they can tell us about. And what they tell us is that he wasted some money on a dance party and on some transportation expenses. I mean, first of all, most of that, including the dance party, can easily be justified as a valid business expense. If you're in the organization, you might not agree with it. You might not think it's a, it's a good way to, to you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a useful business expense, but it is a business expense. You know, getting, uh, getting car services, for example, obviously a business expense. $150,000, whatever they said it was, may sound like a lot. But um, those kinds of car services are expensive. And when you're traveling a lot, like uh, James O'Keefe does, it adds up quickly. So it's actually not that shocking. The thing about getting the boat fixed, I mean, um, maybe you can't justify that as a valid business expense. But is that all you have? Really? That's all you got? And for that, you force out the founder and face of your organization, provoking a mass exodus of donors and supporters, probably taking your whole organization down in the process, and severing ties with one of the most visionary and effective leaders in the movement for that? Because he got his boat fixed? That's the reason? And why, if you, if this is not a coup with people trying to take over the organization that he founded and, and uh, that, that rests upon his work, that he's the face of the organization, he's their, he's their primary fundraiser and everything else. If it's not a coup against him and you really have a problem with how the money's being spent, then why wouldn't the board just resign in protest? And say, we can't be a part of it. We can't be a part of this uh, organization with money being spent on fixing boats. We can't do that. $14,000, that's uh, it's too much. If it's not a coup, that's, that seems like that's what you would do. But that's not what they did. Instead, they said, we're going to take over and kick you out, even though this is the organization that you founded. I said this when I we first heard about the, the whole James O'Keefe um, controversy. I have no trouble believing that James O'Keefe maybe rubbed some people the wrong way. Because he's highly effective and uh, he's a, a great mind and talent. And people like that tend sometimes to be difficult in person. That's not my experience with, with James. I haven't, you know, I've only met him a couple of times. Seemed like a nice guy to me. But it wouldn't, my point is it wouldn't shock me if it was the case. Because highly effective and uh, leaders, people who are great talents, like they, they can sometimes be difficult. They make enemies that way. People hold grudges against them. So what? 
you deal with it because that's the price of having a guy like that leading your organization. It's a price worth paying. And this is a trend on the right that concerns me. Um, I saw some people making this point uh, you know, a few nights ago that it seems like conservatives have this tendency to turn against the most effective and brilliant and creative people in their movement. Like the greatest sin you can commit is to be actually successful and effective. And the moment you do that, well, of course, you're going to have the left coming at you, but your own people turn against you because they're, because they're motivated by envy, whatever it is. They feel threatened by your success. I see this a lot. The best people get driven out, driven away, leaving us with a bunch of bland, mediocre bores. Ben Dominish of the uh, Federalist made this point last night, and I tend to disagree with him on um, significant you know, number of issues, but I think, he, I think he had this right. He said, James O'Keefe out at Project Veritas is yet another example of how right media and the donor class have a deep intolerance for creative genius. If Andrew Breitbart had lived, they'd have found a way to ditch him too. Conservative media is awash with medium talent who pay their bills on forgettable churn that changes nothing and has a half-life measured in hours. Creatives rise up, make a lot of noise, get a lot of enemies, then get taken out by their own. Then donors turn to the mids. I think he's exactly right, and I think that's precisely what's happening with James O'Keefe. Which is why I, along with uh, many other people, most people from what I've seen, you know, I'll f- wherever... I'll be supporting whatever organization he goes and, and, uh, and, and starts from here. Um, one other quick thing before we get to the comment section. We see these moments go viral like once a month now. This is another Wheel of Fortune fail, which are always fun. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll watch this video, but if, you, if you're just listening to the audio, what you should know is that this puzzle is already solved except for one letter. And uh, the letter, the, the answer is fresh tropical fruit. All the letters are there except for the S in fresh. And here's what happens. Yes, there is an H. Uh, solve it or spin it or, but do something quickly. Um, I'll spin that. it. Okay. Okay, what letter for you? I'll go with a G. Uh, Juliana, it's your turn. I'd like to solve the puzzle. Yeah. Fresh tropical fruit. Yeah. You know, when that happens and you're sitting at home, you're saying, how in the world can that? But, you know, sometimes it's a word that just doesn't want to come into focus for you. It did for you. And in addition to that $650, we're sending you to the island of Antigua. Listen to this. You know, one of the sounds in this, there are some sounds in life that are uh, always going to be horrifying. And the last sounds that you want to hear, like the sound of uh, crunching metal when you're driving a car, you know, it's it's just one of those sounds. And if you've been in a car accident, you remember that sound forever. Uh, Another of those sounds is if you're on a game show and you hear a gasp of horror from the audience. That's, you never want to, you never want to hear that. You can hear the audience go, what? Um... Although I do have to say, you know, I, I do love Freg tropical fruit. I go all the time to the grocery store and I say, hey, where's your Freg fruit at? But this is why, here's the point I want to make about this. It is, it's an important point. Well, it's not important at all, but still. Uh, I think the internet age makes it not worth it to go on Wheel of Fortune. And I don't, I don't say this to dissuade. Look, I'm a fan of Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy um, like anybody else. But it's, it's just, it's, I would never go on these shows anymore. And I say that as someone who, look, I watch Jeopardy, and I will kill that show. I, I will absolutely kill it when I'm sitting there in, uh, in, my best games on Jeopardy are when I'm totally alone in the living room, and no one is there to hear me answering the questions correctly. Um, and then I'll have to go tell my wife about it, and she won't care at all. But, and I, I've thought to myself, and maybe I should go on it, but it's just, it's not worth it, because... If you have a, a brain fart moment, okay, you have a moment where just like you have a, a total lapse and you draw a blank and you, you know, you, a moment like that will now live in infamy forever. You, it, will be, it will follow you. So that this poor woman, for the rest of her life, she's going to have that moment. So that's what you risk. That's the risk. The risk is that you have a, a terribly stupid moment and it haunts you forever because of the internet. Um, that's the risk. That's the worst case scenario. What's best case scenario? Best case scenario is that you win, you know, $12,000 and a trip to Cancun or something. It's not bad to win that, but I don't know if it's worth the risk. 
That's the point. Okay, let's get to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Well, as you can see, I have with me here the answers to all of your problems. The Johnny the Walrus book bundle, complete with my magnum opus, uh, Johnny the Walrus, best-selling LGBT children's book, Johnny the Walrus, and it's a also it's cuddly, tusked companion, proudly emblazoned with his pronouns. All of this is here to spread joy and sanity to all those plagued by the greatest ills of our time. You know, I get attacked so much for being mean and all of that, that it's it's easy to forget that I am actually the world's most renowned LGBT children's author. How could you say such, make such accusations against someone like me? Right now, you can get this uh, bundle at its lowest price ever, thanks to our the Our President is for Sale sale over at dailywire.com shop. You can enjoy 40% off. Uh, select Daily Wire merchandise, including the uh, uh, all of the things that I just mentioned. The sale ends on Friday, so don't wait. Take advantage of the deal while it lasts. Go to thedailywire.com slash shop today. Amy Goodman says, considering all the threats Matt gets that are directed at his family, I don't think his anger is irrational. He's a father. He's standing up to protect children. His, yours, and mine. We need his voice. Yeah, well, I would, I mean, Amy, I would feel this way uh, without the threats, but it's also true, I think, that a lot of the nicer conservative types um, you know, the conservatives that are all about being nice and all that, I don't think they've ever fully encountered the deranged, demonic evil of um, trans activists in particular. And uh, But I have. And I've told you in broad strokes about some of the threats that I get. But I can't even tell you. I can't tell you everything they've done to threaten my family and my wife and my children. And many of these things we have to deal with are just better dealt with privately for a whole host of reasons, but, um, so that's all I can say, but yes, I, I, I have, <laughs> I have seen these people for what they really are. Um, and I, I don't think you need the threats and all the rest of it to see it, but when you have that stuff as well, it just becomes very clear the level of evil that you are dealing with. And I think for, for, for some of these nice conservative types, they, they just, they've never encountered that. They, they never have. Um, and I also think it, it, it is interesting to note that, you know, we played that montage yesterday of uh, some of the right of center uh, commentators and YouTubers and stuff that were um, calling me mean. And I, I think, I don't know this for sure, but certainly most of them don't have kids. Most of the people that were in that montage don't have kids. Uh, maybe one or two of them do, but most of them don't have kids. And I'm willing to bet that of the conservatives who are, though, well, we have to be nice, you know, those types, I, I, I'm willing to bet that the majority of them don't have children. And so they just, they don't have the same stake in this. They don't have the same skin in the game. And they, they haven't really had to think about, you know, like, my God, what if my children were to fall victim to this? And when, when that prospect is put in front of you in a very real way, it just changes things. It makes you take this much more seriously and I think some of these people are taking it. Um, it makes, you know what it is? It makes it so that it, it's not just, it's not just a topic for YouTube, okay? And I think for some of these people, and like I said, I, I have no personal grudge against any of them. Uh, most of them I like and I enjoy their content. But I think for some of them, they, they see this, it's just a topic. It is a topic to discuss on, on YouTube or on Twitter or whatever. But for some of us, it is not only that. It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more real than that to us. Uh, Lana says, as a stay-at-home mom, a job that I absolutely love, who rarely has adult interactions outside of my husband in church, I often feel voiceless and helpless in this increasingly depraved and disgusting world. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for using your platform to speak the truth. By the way, I love for these people saying you're too harsh to read the Apostle Paul's letters and tell me that he killed them with kindness. Well, not just the Apostle Paul. I mean, yeah, the Apostle Paul is prime example. Uh, this was someone who was very blunt in his approach and would would also use actual insults. I know that uh, people don't actually read the Bible, but but are you know familiar with it by reputation, especially the Gospels and uh, and with the New Testament and the Epistles. Now, people like that uh, to 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 suggest that there are saints in the Bible, who actually insult people. You know, to them, it's scary. Well, that couldn't have happened. No, well, <laughs> it did. Uh, pick it up and read it sometime. Read the language that they used. But not only the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ as well. 
And some of the stuff we're, we, we've heard it so many times we've taken for granted, but a statement like, you'd be better drowning in the ocean with a stone tied around your neck than doing what you're doing. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said about people that harm children and, and lead children into, into scandal, into sin. Um, that's what he said. Now, imagine for a second that Jesus hadn't said that, but then someone else said it. You know, like what? What if? What if? What if? Uh, just what if I said it? What if I said that? What? If, what if that's what I said about Dylan Mulvaney? You know, you'd be better off drowning in the ocean with a stone tied around your neck. You'd have a lot of conservatives and Christians that would hear that. And say, well, that's the most. I can't believe you would say this. Is the worst thing anyone's ever said. This is horrible. Who would ever say this is evil? You're a fake Christian. Well, that's what Jesus said. That's what he said. And in fact, uh, Jesus, go again, read the Gospels, read them. And what you're going to find is that he, <laughs> he had no tolerance for, for evil, none. And he would tell people very bluntly to their face. And he would describe their actions in very harsh terms. This was not like one, now, we only have comparatively, we are only given comparatively few episodes from Jesus Christ's life. Um, and, and of course, we know that, that you know, the, the, the uh, lion's share of it is we were told nothing about it at all. So we have when he was born, and then we have one brief episode from adolescence, and then we have, um, and then we have adulthood. A, a, a brief, really brief episode of adulthood. And even in that and even then, in that snapshot, we have Jesus flipping tables in the temple, using actual violence. Remember it says he fashions a cord out of whips? It wasn't even like he grabbed it. He took some time, it sounds like, to make a whip and then use it against people. Said you're better off drowning with stone around your neck. Calling people hypocrites and vipers and all these kinds of uh, words. And that's just in the parts that we're told about. So I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the hippie Jesus thing is just, it's, an, it's a modern invention. It's not real. And finally, Joe says, you've really been handing out some excellent cancellations lately, Matt. Today was perfect. The Chelsea Handler one was great too. So great, in fact, that while driving alone in my car, I actually shouted, boom, shots fired, Captain, in a Scottish accent. It was more of a pirate accent considering the Captain reference. Either way, you're inspiring your deckmates, or I should say mateys, to loot more and more sweet treasure from the woke culture and to shout in random and indiscernible accents in their cars. Well, Joe, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just glad to find out that I'm not the only one who tries out different accents while alone in my car. So maybe I'm not as psychotic as I thought, or I still am, but I'm not alone in that. The Daily Wire is seeking our first ever vice president of social media to join our team in Nashville, Tennessee. This person will oversee a large team that teaches, uh, that reaches rather, and teaches maybe, 95 million plus viewers across our social platforms. Uh, this leader will serve as our social and content strategy lead to help us continue scaling our pages and platforms across YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Snap, and uh, much more. This is the perfect role for someone who loves to roll up their sleeves and work alongside their team, as well as someone who can uh, think strategically about the content that we put on social media. For more information and to apply, go to dailywire.com Walsh and click careers. That's dailywire.com Walsh today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, I must again, unfortunately, cancel people on my own side, or at least theoretically on my own side. Um, these are the conservatives who, over the past few days, have been frantically applauding their latest hero, their newly elected spokesman, their uh, trendiest new conservative champion, Jeffree Star. And for those unfamiliar, as I was until two days ago, Star is a social media influencer and owner of a popular, I think, cosmetics brand. Uh, Star also enjoys dressing like a woman. But this flamboyant cross-dressing makeup salesman earned applause from many on the right, including prominent figures on the right, when he appeared on a podcast and said this. I'm not into all the other I think. What other The they and them. Yeah. And all that extra that we added during the pandemic because everyone mm. was so bored on their houses. They just started to make up more and more stuff. More stuff. Yeah. That's where the conservatives like me because I'm just real. Yeah, you There's do no, have a conservative vibe to you. You're not they and them. You're trans. You're Male or you're female. And you're standing and on that. so mad when I say that. How are you a they? What the f*** does that mean? 
It's stupid is what it is. Yeah. But you need someone like me that looks like me to say it. Because if you say it, it turns into you're homophobic. You hate trans people. You hate gays. And it's just how you feel. You don't hate anyone. You just think it's stupid. Now that, what you just heard, makes Jeffree Star based, apparently. He's based now. He said one thing that conservatives like, and uh, they were on the scene with pom-poms in no time. And yes, Star is right that the they-them stuff is BS, of course. Obviously. But the problem, one of them anyway, is that he rejects non-binary while affirming trans. He says that the only valid categories are trans, male, or female. And to drive that point home, he made another video responding to the backlash against his anti-they-them commentary, where he reiterated his support for and belief in transgenderism. Here it is. I just went on and I saw a few outlets saying that I'm transphobic. Jeffree Star, who has five transgender employees. I have over 100 employees of all different ethnicities. A brand that is inclusive to the entire world. What we're not going to do is lie. So if you posted an article saying anything like that, you better delete it, Miss Thing, because I'm coming. All I said was, is I don't agree with pronouns. That's it. So you know how Cardi B sued that woman and, well, the lady don't have any money. But Cardi B won, allegedly, a lot of money from the lawsuit, even though she'll never get it. It's still the point of she won. That was phenomenal for someone like me that has been abused and dragged through the mud. Now, we all know all my past mistakes, girl. Every time that I have an opinion, everyone has to bring up everything from the past. It's, that's getting so old, but the support and the understanding and the common sense from millions of people that I've seen over the last few days, it made, it made me realize I'm, the planet's not that awful. Like, people get it. It's just social media, and they love to drag Miss Jeffrey Lynn. Also, shout out to so many amazing, beautiful transgender people and the LGBT community in my DMs writing me. Um, just thank you. This is, I'm sorry about that. This is just too much. Between, between this guy and the uh, Gloria Johnson tweet, it, it's just the, the amount of brain cells we're losing. It's, it's really, it's like the effect of a, of a concussion. We are all now concussed effectively because of the level of stupidity that we've been, been forced, well, that I have forced you to encounter today. Um, but very inspiring response from this right-wing warrior who desperately defends himself from the transphobia claims by bragging about all the trans people he employs. I suppose it just goes to show that uh, Democrats really are the real transphobes. Of course, check back in about five years and people on the right will be defending transgenderism and non-binary, but then claiming that uh, trans speciesism is where they draw the line. And somehow that position will be applauded as not only correct, but, but based. See, this is how it works as the Overton window continues its relentless march to the left. What was a fringe left-wing view yesterday suddenly becomes mainstream today, and the fringe today will be mainstream tomorrow. Meanwhile, the oblivious faction of conservatives, a rather large group, unfortunately, continue to embrace any position that is not at this moment on the extreme left-wing fringe. As long as it's not the most extreme version of leftism, they embrace it. Which means that tomorrow they will embrace whatever is on the extreme left-wing fringe today. Jeffree Star's conservative defenders have told me that, well, we should accept him into the fold because he is, they say, uh, mostly right about the gender issue. But he's not mostly right. He's not even in the neighborhood of right. He's not, he's not in the, he's not, I don't know what planet he's even on, let alone the neighborhood. He believes that a person can identify as and actually be a member of the opposite sex. He affirms transgenderism. It's just that he prefers to stick with the term transgender to describe those people and believes that non-binary is extra and redundant. And he's right that it is redundant, you know, as non-binary versus transgenderism, that is a distinction without a difference. That doesn't make him more right or closer to the truth. He's not suddenly a defender of truth and tradition because he prefers to stick with the craziest left-wing ideas from yesterday rather than adopting the craziest ideas from today. In fact, non-binary isn't even really crazier than transgenderism. These terms are, again, redundant. They are versions of the same nonsense. Star prefers using one term for the nonsense rather than two. This apparently is enough to make him our generation's William F. Buckley. The left here is using a classic manipulation technique. You make an outrageous demand so that a slightly less outrageous demand seems reasonable by comparison. We should all be familiar with this strategy. It's the oldest one in the book. Right? Kids use it all the time. Just a few nights ago, my son came up to me after dinner and said, Daddy, can we all go get ice cream? 
Now, asking me to load all six kids in the car after dinner when I already have my sweatpants and slippers on definitely qualifies as an outrageous demand. That's one thing they know. Once the slippers come out, I'm not going anywhere. We are here for the night. So I said no, and then he immediately followed it up with, okay, well, then can we just watch a movie? Now, in that case, I knowingly allowed myself to be suckered by the strategy, and I let them watch a movie. But on a cultural level, in in the battle with the left, We cannot be so easily duped by these kinds of tricks. Just because non-binary is arguably a little weirder weirder than trans, that doesn't make trans legitimate or any closer to legitimate than it was before. Celebrating Jeffree Star at this point, it's like if somebody was beating you over the head with a baseball bat and then Jeffree Star ran in and said, no, don't beat him over the head with a baseball bat. Just stomp on his face with your boot instead. Here, I'll help. Now, it's true that getting stomped is probably a little better than being bludgeoned with a bat, but does that automatically make the person stomping on your face an ally? Would you applaud this person as they kick you in the skull and say, wow, this guy's great. We should invite him to CPAC. No, he's still your enemy. He's still trying to kill you, just perhaps in a slightly less efficient manner. See, the curse of the big tent conservatism approach is that now our tent is filled with people who are directly trying to undermine our cause. A big tent doesn't do you a lot of good when you're inviting people under it who will just try to rip it down and leave all of us standing in the rain, which is what's happening. One last point on all this. Starr says that we need someone who looks like him to say the things that he says, because if if we say it, that is, if normal people who aren't cross-dressing circus performers say it, then uh, we will be called bigots and transphobes. Well, except this logic is refuted by his follow-up video in which he defends himself against accusations of bigotry and transphobia. So it turns out that tokenism is not actually an effective strategy here. We cannot insulate ourselves from criticism by putting our arguments into the mouths of people who fall into identity categories that the left usually celebrates. Okay, I don't know how conservatives keep thinking this strategy will work. It never has. It never will. Doesn't work. Like, can you give me an example of someone who's in, in one of these identity groups and they make a conservative, well, not even conservative, they make a slightly less, less left-wing argument and the left goes, well, you know, normally I disagree with that, but this person is an identity group that we support, so I think we'll take it into consideration. Has that ever happened? Is there one example of that working? No, it doesn't, because the left values ideological conformity over all else. Their vision of diversity is one in which people of all races, ethnicities, sexual orientations, except white males, and made-up genders come together to march in lockstep and speak in unison. Anybody who misses a beat or forgets a line or tries to improvise will be cast out as not only a bigot, but a traitor as well. As it turns out, the people from protected classes who disagree with the left— are not given softer treatment or a better chance at a fair hearing. If anything, they're shouted down all the louder and hated all the more because on top of uh, of saying the things that the left hates, there's also the element of betrayal because the left says, well, you're supposed to belong to us because of your identity. That, that doesn't make them, that doesn't make the, you know, the, the heretic more credible in the eyes of the left. It just makes them a heretic. Just look at Jeffree Star. He agrees with the left on nearly everything, and he's living exactly the kind of lifestyle they promote, but they still exile him for mildly criticizing one small facet of gender ideology. Well, that doesn't make him our ally or our friend, but it does prove that this whole, you know, you need people like me to make this argument claim is moot. No, we don't need people like him to make the argument. We don't need a cross-dressing trans activist with neck tattoos and copious amounts of makeup to make the argument. You know who we need? This goes back to the beginning of the show. We need normal people. Normal people like you. Normal, common-sense people who live normal lives and dress and act like normal people. We need them to speak up and be advocates. Because after all, normalcy is what we're trying to defend, isn't it? The best defender of normalcy is a normal person. And not just one normal person, but legions of them. An army of normal people demanding a return to sanity and common sense and basic moral decency. Jeffree Star is not ever going to be an effective champion for that cause. But you can be. And that is why Jeffree Star and his conservative defenders are today canceled. 
That'll do it for this uh, portion of the show. Let's move over to the members block. If you're not a member yet, you can become a member by using code Walsh at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Hope to see you over there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlow, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlow's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlow's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE.